Hi guys and welcome back to Birmingham Fan TV. Hi guys, welcome back to the channel. We are doing a slightly different format today because the camera isn't working, so we're trying something a little bit different. Um, if you are watching us on YouTube, please don't forget to like, comment and subscribe to the channel. And we're actually also on Spotify, so if you just want to listen to our voices rather than see our ugly mugs, then you can do on that as well. And also follow us on social media if you haven't already. Everything will be in the description, but it is just at Birmingham Fan TV on all platforms. So James, the season is finally over. It's been horrible, let's be honest. If you were to sum it up in three words, what would what would they be? Um, oh goodness. Um I'm really rusty. It's been absolutely ages since we've done this. So, like, my mind's just gone. And to be honest, my mind's just gone numb anyway because of how it's been over the last sort of um, six weeks. Um, if I was to sum it up in three words, absolute bloody disaster. I don't know how else to describe it other than shambolic, you know, painful. Think unorganized chaos. I just think there's so many words you can use to describe this season. It's been, yeah, it's been really bad. I think that you know, being being Blues fan, um, we're so used to to having a lot of mediocre football and served up some some pretty tough times. But I think in those tough times, we've always had um, a team. Of, of triers and battlers and I think the fan base has always found encouragement from something to give the fan base never lose hope is, is, is one of the key factors and what I've seen this season which has been completely different to the times we've been in relegation battles in uh, under Clark under Zola well obviously then Rentnap came in under Monk is that the fans back then believed all the way up until the end um for the first time ever, I saw a fan base that didn't, that had just lost hope and had genuinely become so disconnected with the club that they didn't, I don't think they didn't care, but they almost felt so, I think apathetic is, is the right word, towards the, the club and the football. And that's so sad because, you know, we are known for being incredibly loyal um, and it was it it got really bad towards the end i think toxic i think we were, we, were, we it didn't turn too toxic it turned pretty bad but i've seen it worse but i think that's maybe again because of the the apathy around the club and there was a lack of drive and belief and fight that the fans had just given up and i think everybody just wanted this thing to peter out and hopefully we it wasn't even a limp over the line it was basically we were thrown over the line by someone else um, yeah, I think for me, I'd describe it as a complete catastrophe. The fact that when we came back from lockdown and we got that point against West Brom, we thought that things were going to actually not be so bad. Um, I think we all had a lot of hope after the lockdown period, after our first game. But we picked up the least amount of points of anyone in the league. We picked up less points than Hull. And Hull got relegated. Um... And 
It was three points, wasn't it? It's three draws, six defeats, wasn't it? Yeah, and that's just scary. And that does really show about where the club is at at the moment and all the overhauls that need to be done. But where do you think it went wrong after lockdown? Um, Easy. We took the foot off the gas. We didn't... We thought it was But do you think we actually did take our foot off the gas? Oh, absolutely. yeah, I mean, okay. there's, a, there's a shout for a lot of things. I think there was more than just taking our foot off the gas, but I think it was the it was the the catalyst behind us beginning to fall away. You know, we go into the West Brom game, we as it, obviously going into the lockdown and and coming out of it, we were 13 points clear of the drop zone with nine to play. You think, well, you pick up two wins out of those nine games, which is more than capable. Um, considering how many home games we had and some of the teams we had to play, and you think you picked pick up two wins, you're probably mathematically safe at that point. Um, they got the point at West Brom and thought, oh well, this is going to be a breeze. We just kind of teams won't be fully at it, um, and then they slowly began to to drop points needlessly. Like I say, Hull at home was a shocking result when you think back back about it. You know, a team that were being battered left, right, and centre. Um, and we, we we scraped a draw in the last minute. Huddersfield was really, really bad. I think maybe worse. The fact that we got beat 3-0, we didn't really lay a glove on them. Um, and at that point, I think they started to panic. I think the players started to panic. Um, they lost all sense of a game plan. Whenever we went into a game, I just saw a bunch of players out there that didn't really have a clue what they were doing. Um, no leadership. I think Pep had given up. Um, for all his credit he's had this season, which he still deserves some credit for being thrown into a job he didn't want. Um, he looked like his mind was elsewhere. Um, and the, all of that blame ends up coming back to one place and it's the boardroom. Um, I think you probably agree with me in that one that you know all roads lead back to, I think I saw somebody say that um, a fish rots from the head down well I think that's probably the truest statement here that that we could say yeah I think um I've got a lot of opinions on the way that everything is run at the club as a whole but I think that it really does show how we are we've got we are moldy basically like there's rot in the club and it's just petering down from the top. So we've got people in that don't really know what football is, or they don't know how a game plan works. They know how a business works, but not how a football business works. It's a completely different kettle of fish. Uh, no pun intended from your fish analogy. Um, but I just realised that. But I just think that there's so it's really hard for me to put into words. Um, there's certain areas of the club that just need to be strengthened. And like you say, there's no clear leadership. There's no clear leadership from, I don't think we exactly know who's making all the decisions. We haven't got a head of football necessarily that is successful. I mean, when we thought... No, I was just going to say, I'll jump in with that one. And I think that um, even though his title isn't that, so a lot of people don't, realise he is I think Christian Speakman is director of football um, but exactly my point but yeah nobody knows really that that's his official title nobody 
you know, it's not been stated that. And really, a lot of people don't even know what he does around the club. Um, I think that's the biggest issue, isn't it? We don't know, as fans, we don't know who to go and speak to if there's an issue. I think we've first-hand experienced that. Um, we don't know who to look for when it comes to other issues that surround the club, that we haven't got a port of call that we can connect, contact someone and be listened to. I think that's the biggest thing is fans aren't listened to at all by the club because they keep making decisions that upset the fans. However, let's turn it slightly onto a more positive note. Which players, let's not speak about Jude because we know how great he's been, but what players do you think have earned some sort of credibility since the lockdown period? Scraping the bowl in it. Came really. up. Yeah, it is, but <laughs> let's try. Cam, I guess. Um, I think, like we say, we all know deep down that Lee Camp isn't good enough. I think everybody, if they look in the heart of hearts and think about football as a whole and um, football ability, um, Camp's 35, I think, um, or he's going on 35, 36. Um, he's, he's definitely at the twilight of his career. And as we've seen over the last two years, he is a mistake waiting to happen. Um, he's a ticking time bomb where we just don't know if he's going to catch the most simple of crosses or if he's going to parry the simplest of shots. Um, but overall, I think that if one player maybe kept us in some games at times, especially after lockdown, was Campy. Um, I think I look back at a lot of the goals. I don't think he could have done a lot about 95% of them. There may have been one or two where he felt he could have done better. Um, but I think that he saved a penalty um, against Huddersfield, I think. And he made a couple of good saves against some uh, some teams. And obviously, I know um, we still ended up getting battered in most games. But it could have been worse if it wasn't for Camp. And I think that he was one of the few that could claim a shout for potentially having an extension on his contract, maybe another year next year. I've always said from the start that I would have Camp in as number two next season. Um, definitely sitting on the bench for most games. But his experience is valuable um, in and around the training ground. He's a good character. Uh, certainly wouldn't have him between the sticks for most of our, our league games next season. I certainly think that if one area needs a lot of spending in the summer, it's 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 the goalkeeper position. Connell Truman potentially going out on on loan to, to Wimbledon as well. And Mo Ramos has gone. And um, is it Jake Weaver as well has gone. Uh, we've got no goalkeeper basically as it stands um, so Blues really need to invest there but uh, yeah I think Campy uh, I don't know is there another shout you think maybe deserves a, um, any credit at all trying to be positive I know most fans won't agree with it but yeah I, no I think that Camp has been probably consistently the best player for us since lockdown started there's been no one else that you can rely on to actually play somewhat well, other than Lee Camp, in my opinion. Um, yes, we know he has a mistake in him. Yes, we know that he's not the most able of goalkeepers. However, like you say, things could have been so much worse. Um, it, I think that it gets to a point, doesn't it, where you know all the goals leak through the defence and you've just got your last man standing and there's not always a lot that they can do um, to 
make the situation better because as many as you may concede, you need to score more than what you concede. Well, so I think that, yeah, I, I agree to a certain extent, but I think that's almost got us into trouble. Um, I think that was maybe Pep's mentality was we can outscore teams, if that makes sense. Like, that's not what I was saying. No, 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 no. But like you're saying, <laughs> you're saying like we have to make sure that if we're going to concede, we have to outscore them. Um, well, yeah, exactly. But you know, you're setting camp up for a loss instantly because yeah. our defence was so poor. Oh yeah, no, for sure. So, he, he was but, he was a sitting duck. Yeah, so for him to do as well as he actually did do, if you look back and watch a lot of it, he actually did really well. Yeah. Um, I think there's only a handful of players that did somewhat okay in other oh. games. Bella did okay in a few games. Crowley did okay in a few games. But for me, there's no one else that... I was, I was so annoyed that when Mark Roberts came back in, he wasn't the Mark Roberts that we'd seen earlier on in the season. No, he, he, he was, yeah. That just was so disappointing for me. Yeah, Mark, Mark let himself down. A lot of players let themselves down. Coming back from the restart, um, I don't know what it was, if I'm honest. I can't, I can't quite, like I say, I know that we took our foot off the gas, um, but a lot of teams took their foot off the gas and still didn't end up with this bad a result. Um, still didn't, still picked up one or two wins. I think, I think maybe Middlesbrough took their foot off the gas, um, but they still picked up two or three wins. Reading took their foot off the gas. They were basically in the same position as us and QPR. I'd probably use those as they were the closest to us pre, pre the restart. And they still picked up two or three wins and blues. I've said this all along, you know, we know where the root of the problems are. You know, we know that the board, something needs to happen there drastically, um, whether it be a change of management or people come in to manage these people or, or whatever. Uh, we know that obviously the manager was a problem, but these players, you know, have to take a hard look at themselves going into this summer break. Now, they, a lot of the ones that will be staying, because obviously we can't get rid of everyone, need to question their own mentality. You know, they can blame the club's sorry state of affairs. They can blame the manager for not knowing what to do. They can make whatever excuse they want, but Wigan players could have done that. And I was going to say exactly yeah, that. They could have rolled over, died, said the, the owners are, are screwing us over here. They didn't, and they went on and absolutely blitzed it. And I'm not saying we're Wigan, but for goodness sake, we could have at least picked up, you know, uh, at least two wins, in my opinion, and, and we'd have been fine. And I don't think many Blues fans would have moaned. You know, if we'd have beat Hull and Huddersfield, for example, right at the start, and then mathematically we were probably safe at that point, and we'd have took our foot off the gas. I don't think you would have been in this predicament where everyone's moaning. Um, these players need to also question their commitment to the club. I think um, it's not been good enough. You know, they, they're still representing a club. They're still representing a city, as to speak. And they didn't show it. And they didn't show professionalism. None of them, nobody at the club showed professionalism um, on the playing side of things anyway. From the management to the board to the players, nobody like that. The day-to-day -day staff, obviously, I feel quite bad for them, you know, especially like the media team. They, they got absolutely hammered. Um, it probably wasn't their fault. Um, trying to remain positive all the time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I can't really pick up many positives. Maybe Gardner, a few games, especially Hull, put in a good shift. Um, Collan and Pedersen were disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful over the, the nine-game period. They 
for considering how good we know they are, usually. Two of the worst performers, in my opinion. Hogan. I think that's the hardest thing, isn't it? Yeah. That's the hardest thing. You know how good they are. And we sit at home as fans and just are so perplexed at what we're seeing that we feel so frustrated and upset really because as fans we are upset it's it means more to us than I think it probably does for them in a sense because this is our lives you know that's just their job they're not fans but they haven't shown any professionalism they haven't shown any understanding and it shows how important fans are to our club and our fans being there in the stadium yeah absolutely I think Blues fans usually push the team on uh, more or scared them. <laughs> or, or scared them either way. I think Clark said that once. They were scared to play at home, which was absolute garbage. Oh, was it always Cottrell? I can't remember if it was Clark or Cottrell. I think both of them probably said it. Um, <laughs> I think Blues fans do give a little bit more than most fans to the team. Um, and all that's done really, though, is highlight how bad of a footballing team we've actually had over the last couple of years. You know, that the players almost have to rely on the fans to push them over the line. And, and that's all well and good. But we can't consistently rely on that. Um, I've got a positive. Uh, go on. Where's Harding? Yeah, yeah. I thought Wes Wes was so hard done by over the the lockdown. I'd have had him straight in um, as soon as we got beat to Huddersfield, I think. And Colan and Pedersen didn't show. One of them two should have been out for for um, for Wes. I thought he did really well whenever he played. Um, I certainly would give him another go next season. Yeah, I think he has been excellent. Um, but let's let's try and park the season now. It's over. I'd rather not think about it ever again. It just causes me stress. But today, this morning, we've been linked with a player called, please, I'm really sorry about this, Lovro Mayer. Is that right? Yeah, Lovro Mayer. I can't pronounce names unless Zagreb. it's Spanish. <laughs> but he's a midfielder from Dynamo Zagreb. James, I know you know a lot more about this than me. Why don't you explain to everyone who he is and what he's all about? I think Blues were linked with him in January. Um, I'd seen a few reports in January, but you see so many players linked in January and how many of them are actually true, you don't know. Um, Nothing materialised. This one looks like it's close. Um, My thoughts on it are scattered. My, My initial thought is, why are we signing players without a manager again? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you're, you're, in, you're, you're, locked in, you're locked in negotiations with Aitor Karanka. And this man is saying, okay, I'm willing to come to this club. The fact that he's given us, we'll, um, we'll get onto that, but the fact that, that Karanka has given us a second chance after what had happened a couple of years ago, I was absolutely, you know, bemused. I was, I was baffled that he was giving us another chance. And you're locked in negotiations. This man will get you up if you give him the tools in a couple of seasons. And he wants full control over transfers. Not full, not full control, because that doesn't happen in a football club. The director of football and the owners do get involved. And that is something that fans will have to understand, that they'll always be involved. But he wants more control. He wants more say, which is fair. Um, it's a standard shout. And, and whilst you're in the midst of this, You've got, you're about to sign a player that, okay, but I'm just speaking, I don't know facts, but he might have, it might have been discussed or it might not have been, or it might, we might have had a pre-agreement in place that we couldn't stop. Um, but why, why would you do this 
when you haven't got the manager in yet. You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. That's just my initial thought on it. Um, but on the player himself, I'm also torn on that one as well. Um, everybody knows I'm not the biggest fan of Ivan Sunjic. Um, I won't hide that. I think I think Sunjic gives a lot, but what he gives in in commitment and attitude, he severely lacks in ability, in my honest opinion. Um, he's coming from the same place. He's coming from Dynamo Zagreb. He's another Croatian midfielder. I've seen him a couple of times. He looks a lot more technical than Sunjic. He possesses a little bit more um, good eye for a pass. He's got two goals and four assists this season in 26 appearances for Zagreb. Um, he was at Dyna, um He was at Lokomotiva. Lokomotivia. I can't. I can't remember their name. Um, and he did really well there, playing 52 appearances and 14 goals or something from midfield, which was a really good return. Um, he would be low risk by the sounds of it. Uh, loan to buy deal, so we can loan him for a season. If we like him, we'll buy him, which is exactly what West Brom have done with uh, Pereira. So they bought Pereira in. Okay, it's not the same player, but... They didn't want to spend 13 million up front on him. So they go and take him on loan and say, look, if he's good enough or if we like him, we'll, we'll buy him at the end of his deal. I think it's the way forward to do things, especially when you're buying from a foreign country that you don't know how the players will, will perform when they, you bring them into this league. It's a very difficult league. I think we've already been burnt with that, haven't we? With yeah. Vialba and Jimenez. So yeah. I think the positive from the Vialba and Jimenez deals, while it, again it was an absolute car crash of of a of a of a transfer dealings, um, at least with Vialba again that was a loan deal, which it was a really weird loan deal. But we've not really had to pay out anything from what I, I understand, and and Jimenez we've managed to make a profit on somehow. Don't know how, um, but yeah, I think this deal. I'm not too bothered because he looks a good player. Um, again, Sonjic looked a good player when, whenever I'd watched him before. Um, I still think he needs another season under a decent manager. So we'll, we'll give, we'll give Sonjic the benefit of the doubt. But he looks a, a tidy player. And if he's on loan with a view to buy, you know, we're basically only taking on his wages for a season probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, very low risk. But I, I, like, I like the sound of him. I just don't like the sound of bringing a player in that's not that's before the manager. So it swings and roundabouts, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's almost like a case of you don't want to annoy a manager that may be coming in by buying players that he may not want. So it's maybe they're having talks with Crank about it. You never know. You yeah, never exactly. know how far along things are. But speaking about Karanka, so this week it's emerged that Karanka has been announced as the front runner for the Blues job, which would be amazing. So James spoke to Elliot from Vara Breakdown about all things Ida Karanka and what we can expect from him if he signs with us as our manager. So guys, I am pleased to be joined here by Elliot from the Borough Breakdown. Obviously we will be going over all things Ida Karanka for you guys and giving him the lowdown on what is set to be potentially Birmingham City's next manager. Um, set to be announced over the coming days when this does get released um elliot thank you so much for for giving us the time um and giving us the the insight that you've got into to idol 
Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. No, delighted. Um, so obviously, I just wanted to quickly start off and saying what a crazy end to the season for both of us. Um, and obviously, for you guys, we're in the same boat as us. It's been a it's been a wild season. Um, mm. Just just through, you know touching on it quickly. Um, you're pleased to the way the season finished. I know that you guys have been in my books anyway, slightly underwhelming considering what I yep. thought you had in terms of a squad. Um, and I thought that the, the stability that the club had, I, I certainly didn't expect you to be anywhere near the, the bottom 10, mm-hmm. let's say. Um, but you pleased with, with how it went in the end? Um, yeah, I'm pleased to, you know, to finally, you know, call a day um, on this season and, and kind of get it over with, you know, I think all Borough fans are like, we're just kind of glad it's over. Um, it's been very painful at times. Uh, there hasn't been much to shout about, um, and you know, home performances this season has been has been dreadful, really. I mean, I go with my uh, my sister and uh, my nephew to the games, and you know, trying to convince my nephew to to sort of enjoy it is a challenge. Um, you know, the, the the quality of football on display has been shocking. Um, obviously, the results have led to us being um, not safe until pretty much the last game of the season. Um, but in the end, to pick up four from the last eight after the the run we were on before that, we hadn't won since New Year's Day. I don't think before that. Um, you know, very happy to just kind of survive and and hopefully rebuild the squad, which is going to be a big job over the summer. Um, and and go again next year. And you know, we're not kind of we're not going to get over our heads a little bit and and try and push for something, but at least try and finish in the top half. Um, and play play better football essentially so yeah yeah no for sure um obviously nobody everybody knows about Neil Warnock and, and the pedigree he has in this league I think is it five promotions uh we certainly had yeah, a fair few like that, yeah. um on his hands uh you know a well-respected guy um I saw earlier today that um he put himself forward that saying he'd like to stay um going into next season was this something you'd like or do you want to see a, a completely fresh overhaul do you want to bring someone in maybe Along the lines that they were trying with Woodgate and that that young philosophy, uh, maybe an up and coming manager. Or do, do you want Warnock sort of experience? Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I, I've been trying to sort of wrestle with it in my own mind the past couple of days. Um, but I mean, with Warnock, obviously he was brought in to do a job, and I, you know, I kind of have to applaud him for that. He's done it very well. Um, and I kind of thought that when he was appointed, that you know, I I was quite confident that we would stay up when we got him. But I think in terms of of moving forward, I think we need to look elsewhere. Um, I think given his age um, and you know both his style of, of football, we, we've had it in the past. And I think fans at the moment are, are liking it because he's kept us up and he, he's won a few games. Um, but we know how quickly it turned um, on Tony Pulis um, before Woodgate and, and people absolutely despised the, the style of play. You know, we were winning... 2-0 at home to, to Ipswich, for example, and you know, we'd go 2-0 up in 30 minutes and then just sit back and move the ball along. Um and the entertainment value on on just on display is just is just not there. Um it's a little bit different with uh, Warnock, you know, that there's sort of some element of of still trying to press and um and sort of you know defend from the front almost when you when you have the game instead of sitting in. Um but I think really we need to be bit more forward thinking um and sort of have a full overhaul not just the management but um you know staff across the club um in general um including the players uh and just go with a fresh approach almost like a, a philosophy almost um 
I know it's kind of overrated saying the philosophy, but um, I think that's the general way we should go. But like I say, if he does get offered it, I won't be sort of too mad. He's done a fairly good job, and I think he could steady the ship for a year or two if, if that's how long the contract is. So, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, certainly someone that I, I, I threw my, my hat into the ringers to speak and said that you know I would have taken him uh, at the time uh, nine games ago. And, and certainly, like I say, even now, I would, I would still take him. I think he's done a really good job. In a short space of time, like we know, it's really tough to turn around things that quickly. Um, yeah. And especially with the, the hand he was dealt, I guess, with Middlesbrough. Um, certainly got a lot of quality there, but we know what it's like with, with you know, players' confidence on the floor, etc. Um, but no, like I say, he's, um, I think, maybe give him a year, um, give him his chance, I guess, is, is probably the safest way you could go and then, if you could put the foundations down for someone to come in and take over, um, possibly in 12 months' time. Yeah. Um, possibly he could be the, the, the man to steady the ship, like you say. But uh, just, obviously, we're going to get into our main talk now. Um, that being I talk around Birmingham City, um, supposedly held talks, uh, advanced talks over the, the week come in. Um, he seems set to, to take over um, for the forthcoming season. We know um, previously that he had been linked with the job and that you know things went wrong and obviously he decided not to take the job in the end at the very last minute but I just wanted to ask you from from the very start obviously he came in off the back of being Jose Mourinho's uh, assistant manager at Real Madrid when he took the job in 2013 from uh, Tony Mowbray I believe um, at Middlesbrough what kind of what kind of dressing room did he walk into what kind of what kind of an atmosphere what kind of a club um, were Middlesbrough at the time was it was it a happy camp or was it a very fractured camp um, I think it was. I think it was probably fairly happy. I think the results um, hadn't really been co- been coming for Tony Mowbray. Um, I think it was the November Karanka was uh, appointed um, when when Mowbray was sacked. Um, but I think it had started from the season before where Mowbray had, we'd started really well um, before Christmas, and we used to have this sort of ongoing thing every year um, where we do really well, and then from January onwards we, we just tank and we, we drop out the playoffs. Um, and that happened, and then obviously going into the new season, it, it just didn't start very well. Um, again, um, Mowbray was dealt sort of a pretty bad hand as well. He wasn't given sort of much in the way of, of transfers and um, sort of funds to be able to pull off the deals that he wanted. Um, nonetheless, he, he kind of built the spine of what became Ito Karanka's best team, um, essentially. So when Karanka came in, um, I think he had a sort of fairly well-knitted group. He just needed to fill in the jigsaw in a few places. Um, to be honest, obviously, in the November, um, we had a couple of games. I think the first game was a defeat to, to Leeds. Um, we lost 2-1. Um, in January, I don't think we brought in sort of too many signings. It wasn't a big overhaul. Um, but then in the summer, it's sort of when it really started. I think we spent four or five million on Adam Clayton from uh, Huddersfield. Um and, uh, you know, the main players who, who kind of stuck with it throughout were players who, who Tony Mowbray brought in. So Grant Ledbetter on a free, George Friend, who, um, you know, there's current talks of him potentially getting a new contract now. He's out of contract at the club. Um, and it was all those years ago. George Friend came in for £100,000 from Doncaster. Um, I think Ayala was maybe no more than, no more than a million. Um, from Norwich and Albert Adoma was one of the other key ones um, as well. So I think he inherited a good sort of group of players. It just needed fine tuning in places. Um, so 
sort of when it came to the the summer, he filled in those gaps. We had a good go um, in sort of his first full season in charge, um, and that obviously resulted in us finishing in the playoffs. Um, it was it was quite nervy towards the end. I think I think it was about ten games before the end. I think there was. Bournemouth and Watford who went up that year. So there's Bournemouth, Watford, Derby, Middlesbrough and Norwich um, all within a point of each other um, with 10 games to go. Um, so you know, we, we were all thinking, you know, we could easily we could easily do this with some of the games we had. But in those last few games, I think we I think we got beat 3-0 by Bournemouth, got beat 2-0 by Watford and we, we kind of um, bottled it a bit. So we went into playoffs, um, beat Brentford. Um, over two legs and then despite beating Norwich twice throughout the season without conceding a goal um, eventually lost the playoff final to them 2-0 which was which was heartbreaking um, and I, I think uh, an ex uh, an ex Birmingham player scored as well Cameron Jerome um, oh. to sort of seal the seal the fate but um, yeah it was it was one of those where um, and, and you do see it a lot that you see sometimes Teams lose the playoff final and just never recover from it. Um, but you obviously see somewhere that will come back and they'll just absolutely smash it the next year. And I think that's what we did. Um, albeit we, we didn't win the league, Burnley, Burnley did um, in our promotion season. But some of the displays that year were just just incredible. Um, we were just so much better than the year before. We, we, you could tell the players had sort of learned to deal with that mental pressure um, in the, the high-pressure games. Um, especially, I think... I remember one key game going into the December. Um, we were playing Brighton, and, and Brighton was sort of up there with us. Just sort of came down to the final game against them, but Brighton were unbeaten. I think after twenty twenty one games, um, and we went to their their place and, and smashed them three 0 And it was just that was like the epitome of of Karanka's sort of performances, the, the way he set the team out, um, and the way we played. Um, and it it just continued from there really um throughout the season um and then there was kind of one little blip um which i don't know sort of if other fans really remember it that that well um but and kind of what became synonymous with how he was around the club and and kind of what maybe led to his exit um but during that promotion season it was about 10 games before the end he had a falling out with i think some of the players um and he kind of walked out and everyone thought he was going to leave. And, and Steve Agnew, our assistant at the time, took charge of a game at, um, at Charlton away. Uh, and we, we lost 2-1. And I think Charlton were, you know, the, they were having loads of issues with the owners and things as well. And, um, and I just never envisioned us sort of losing that game. And I think we, we lost as well to, it might have been Rotherham as well in the same week. So it was like Charlton and Rotherham in the same week. Um, but he came back in, you know, kissed and made up with whoever whoever it was at the time. Um, and we sort of went unbeaten in the final 10 games and, and got promoted. And it was almost like a, a Hollywood script. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, it was um, the rollercoaster ride throughout those, the, the two main seasons. Obviously, the, the sort of half season that he came in on, there wasn't sort of a whole lot going on. It was kind of a, a transitioning phase, I guess. But the sort of main two years before promotion were, were incredible. I want to take you back right to the start when you say that um, obviously he inherited a good spine from Tony Mowbray, which we know, you know, Mowbray himself builds a team that relatively hard to beat. You know, he likes to be a, have a strong team, not necessarily um, a free flowing team, but 
certainly not a negative team either. But what, what were the main changes? You know, you said that you said that um, you know Mowbray wasn't getting the results, and he didn't make too many changes when he came in in terms of the personnel. So, what do you think he changed in terms of um, the team and maybe the mentality and the way they played to to get those results in at the start? I think it was more about defensive st- stability. Um, I think Mowbray and Karanka. Um, played a very similar style. Um, they both liked to line up with a, a 4-2-3-1. Um, you know, it was kind of key was on the, the creative player, the number 10, um, which I think we, we kind of lacked um, as well. And obviously we, we then brought in Lee Tomlin and, and um, eventually Gaston Ramirez in that position. But um, I think obviously when Mowbray had it, he, he was kind of missing a key player there. Um and obviously the sort of defensive stability. I think we, we sort of had the right players, but we just either the instructions or the way we were setting up was wasn't quite there. So I think um what Karanka done when he when he sort of first came in was we need to sort of shore up the defence. And I think that's the case with when a lot of managers first come in, they want to sort of build from the back first and make sure you you know you're hard to beat. Um and then you can focus on the other areas of play. So I remember quite a lot of games during the January and February where we draw nil nil. Um and it almost seemed quite defensive at times, which which in essence it was. But um, you could see the signs of what we were what we were trying to build, really. I, I mean, you know, like, like I say, I think that's been it would be an important factor, obviously, if we bring him in. Um, I think the club has shipped forty two home league goals this season alone. Uh, I think seventy five yeah. um, across the competition. Um, and to be honest, I think it's been a bit of a surprise, really, because I think we look at our back line. Um, We've got some players in there, a, a really good championship pedigree in Christian Pedersen and uh, Mark Roberts, Harley Dean, Maxime Collin. Um, so do you think he, I'm not saying he can work miracles, but on the basis, you think that he can, he tends to squeeze the best out of his players that he does have before making any, um, not rash changes, but any necessary changes that he feels like he needs to make? Yeah, I, I think he does give players a go um, and tries to get the most out of them. Um, he did obviously eventually when he was kind of given the the money to do so. Um, he did make changes to the squad where necessary. But I think, you know, in that sort of first half um, of that season where he came in, he obviously he didn't have that, so he had to work with what he had. Um, I think, you know, he got he got more out of the players than than what we would presume. Um, I can't imagine uh, sort of forming that centre back partnership of Danny Ayala and Ben Gibson. Um, with sort of anybody else in charge other than Karanka, it was, you know, it was it was incredible the way he got them working together. And the same with um, Adam Clayton and, and Grant Ledbetter, um, the understanding that the players had between them, um, and you know, that, that's obviously paid off from from his coaching and everything he was doing in training. Um, some of the players, and you, we've seen it after he left, that the kind of performances dipped. You could kind of maybe put it down to sort of age and. Maybe trying to adapt to new styles, which which we've varied a lot since he's left. Um, but yeah, you know, at the time we all thought George Friend was a you know was an okay player. He, he was doing all right. He was a, a risk free signing almost from Doncaster, but um, Karanka made him into the you know the PFA Team of the Year. Um, you know, which was which was insane to think of at the time. Um, so I think he does give people a fair chance. There's probably an argument where some players could probably come out and say, you know, you didn't really give me that much of a chance. But, you know, if you're not doing the business and training, we can't really know what's going on behind the scenes. But if you're not doing the business and training, someone's 
playing better than you week in, week out, then um, you're not going to get a goal. But I think in terms of what he'd done with some of the players, considering he had no idea who they are, you know, he's he's coming over from you know Real Madrid. He's been used to working with some top-end players with Jose Mourinho. Um, you know, to championship players, he, he worked wonders with them, really. I want to quickly touch on the players that he did bring in. Um, he's very synonymous with, I guess he's, he's, he's kind of earned himself a reputation, maybe falsely, um, of needing a, a big budget to spend. Um, I know that he did spend a fair amount at Middlesbrough. I'm not saying that he worked on a shoestring budget. Um, he also spent a fair amount at Nottingham Forest when he did go over there in the end. Do you think that it's unfair? Do you think he, he only spends the budget because it's there at his disposal? Or do you think that it's something he actually requires to build that team and, and he's not actually able to, to get the best out of a team unless he has the, the, obviously the, the money to put into those players? Yeah, I think, I think it's probably a, pre, a prerequisite for him before going into a job, but I think it's, it's partly because he wants to take that team to the next level. I think, um, yeah, I, I guess we did see you know, Norwich go up on a, on a shoestring budget, but now we're seeing them come back down again because you know, they didn't spend anything when they went up and, and ultimately the quality's paid off. But you see the likes of the, the other way around of that, of um, you know, Spirito Santo at Wolves came in um, and although we can maybe see how good his coaching ability is, he, again, he, he sort of spent a lot of money to get them up and, and keep them up and, and possibly even get Europe this year. So I think it, uh, to sort of um, progress the team onto a, a sort of next level um, and get them in the Premier League, keep them in the Premier League and push for European places, I think you, you've got to really. Um, and I think with how Karanka keeps saying with... Um, every sort of interview he has where they say what's next for you and so on. Um, and he's saying, you know, I'm only going to go to, to the, for the right job. Um, that's a project. Um, I think is why maybe, like you say, he's being falsely accused of it. I think um, he probably could go in and work on a sort of smaller budget um, and, and sort of get the best out of the players. We've seen it do it with players that he's already had at the club. Um, but he's not going to be able to really push it on that far. Um, you know, if he came into to Birmingham, for example, he, you know, he could take the club to um, sort of overachieving on, on where you you guys might think you'd finish in a season. Um, but to kind of take that next step, I, I think he would sort of require some money to kind of get in quality players. Because um, as we know, the, the sort of the market is um, sort of overinflated in England, and if you're playing paying for players from England as well um, you pay a premium but um, like I said that could all change with what's been happening in the past few months with uh, with COVID-19 it, it could kind of lower prices for players so it could kind of play into the, the hands of, of the project really and not having to spend a lot to do it um, but I guess that remains to be seen. Yeah no absolutely it's going to be a you know a completely unpredictable market a lot of players actually find themselves on a free transfer so I think there's quite a few players that, that are there for the taking if um, obviously because the contracts have, have, have wound down and it's been a, an odd situation so I think that remains to be seen but obviously there's talk of £26 million coming in well we know that it's coming from, from Jude Bellingham sale and, and yeah. several other players potentially departing for, for big fees as well which would create a potential um, reasonable sum um, for, for expenditure but we don't know obviously nobody knows um, what the set budget amount is with what's changed but I want to touch on his style of play 
I think it's something that also became or has become something that's maybe followed him around a little bit. Um, maybe again, I, I, I think personally doing my research, maybe a little bit unfairly, um, maybe as a negative manager or very much, um, a boring, some would say I've seen people call him a boring manager. And, and I think personally it's very unfair. I looked at the statistics over the two full seasons he had with, with Middlesbrough being, I think he conceded 37 goals in your 14, 15 season with 68 goals scored. And I think it was 31 conceded in your promotion season with 63 scored um, with seven home league goals. Is it, is it unfair to call him negative? Is the football just very structured with a, you know, a hint of, you know, very good attacking play or is it, you know, or is it, is it what it is perceived to be? And it's just very defensive, very structured and, and you're going to go out and win games 1-0 and 0-0. I think it's uh, exactly what you said, really. I think there's, you know, it is very structured and I think, um, I think it could develop into something more, like you say, if the club sort of continues to build. So I think if we were to stay up um, in the Premier League that season and then you get, you know, more funding to perhaps invest in better attacking players, it would perceive better. Um, I think I think what happens is obviously when he came in, um, he wanted to shore up the defence and kind of make, you know, uh, the Riverside a fortress almost, like you said from those stats there. Um, that did happen. We weren't obviously the biggest scorers, I think, in the top six. Like you said, I think it was 63 and sorry, 68 and 63 in the two seasons, um, which, you know, weren't the highest. I think, you know, the other clubs were getting 70, 80, 90 um, plus. Um, and a lot of the wins were one and two nil wins. Um, but I think with his style of play, um, it, it is renowned to be um, a possession based style of football. It, it's more sort of forward thinking it's what sort of a lot of um you know football purists would kind of love these days um but there, there is an air an element to it where you know once teams have worked out that's the case they're just going to sit in um and they're just going to try and make it difficult um and what can obviously come off with with football fans especially on a match day you know when there's you know um everyone's been drinking and whatnot, you're in the stand, you're making a lot of noise and and the game just kind of plays out that you, you seem to be playing it across all the time and you're trying to work that opening. Um, and it almost seems as though, you know, you're, you're being negative, um, but it's just, it's just tactics simply. You, you can't seem to, to break some teams down. Um, they know how good you are at home, so they're going to come and make it difficult. Um, and eventually we would, we'd make the breakthroughs and we'd win one and two nil. And I think people had kind of let it go because you won the game. Um, people couldn't really see past the the result and not really analyse the performance too much. Um, but what obviously happened in in the Premier League is that you know you're coming up against much better opposition. We couldn't really um, emulate that style of play all of the time, especially away from home. Um, so it was adapted slightly. Um, we did go to um, a five at the back at some points um, to sort of have an extra man covering, um, and you know we'd look to play counter-attacking style we'd look to move the ball very quickly and direct um up the field to the playmakers so uh, um in that year in the premier league we obviously had, we had gaston ramirez um adama Traore, um who had the, the skill and the pace to do these things um and and to be honest until obviously he was eventually sacked in in march it, it was working we, we hadn't dropped into the the relegation places at all um uh, on, until he was sacked, you know, we, we hadn't dropped in at all. 
Um, it was just better quality, simply, of the teams. And I, I was quite confident that we would pick up results against teams sort of in the bottom half of the table at home, um, you know, with a slice of luck and, and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, I think it is one of those, like you said, it, it's kind of followed him around falsely, sort of learned his trade as well from a, um, a manager, as Mourinho, who, who is, again, renowned for that sort of brand of football. Um and it worked very well for a long time. You know, Mourinho's won so much in the game at so many clubs. Um, and, you know, if he's worked with him, why wouldn't you kind of go in and try and emulate that on your first job? It's it's everything he knows. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's a strange one. Um, it's one of those. I, I think it's it's unfairly um, came on him that it, it's defensive because I, I really don't think it isn't. I think it's it's... Well, well mannered sort of controlling of the game. Um, I think it's sort of very pleasing on the eye. We weren't sort of grinding out one nil wins by scoring a scoring a set piece and then sitting in for the rest of the game and let the other team attacking us. We were in you know full control. Um, yeah, and you and you certainly think it was um, like I say still edge of the the seat sort of stuff even at you know one nil up and. Um, you still go in for the games, like like you say, because I think we've 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 seen that where we've had Gary Rowett, for example, um, a very good manager in himself. But we also found, you know, like you said, uh, I think you said previously under Tony Pulis that um, Middlesbrough fans would get very annoyed when the game was at one nil and and you were winning at home, but you would find yourself sitting in deep for for forty, fifty, sixty minutes. Um, it's not very. It's 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 a it's a different style to that where you'll still try and pick mm-hmm. teams off at, at one and two nil. Yeah, definitely. I think um, we were still always looking for opportunities, but it was I think it was the case where the players were maybe told, you know, don't overexert yourselves. Um, if we're tuning up, you don't need to sort of go out and get three or four because um, if we've got the points, we sort of don't need the, the goal difference almost. Um, and I think obviously the way other teams were playing who were up there with us were um, a lot more fa- faster transitions. Um, the teams that went up around us at that year, Bournemouth, um, weren't really known as, um, you know, they were a very possession-based team, but they were very much faster tiki-taka. Um, and it was, you know, they were moving the ball a bit very quickly. And that's why they were thumping teams left, right and centre that year, even even ourselves included. Um, and I think with, with Karanka, it was more about a slow approach play um, and just waiting for the right moment, um, really. And I think, especially in that second year, we improved on positions we were sort of, a little bit toothless in in the first year um so i think obviously it was a case where you know i'd still one or two nil we could we could pick teams off and, and get a bit more and, and through that season we did um like i say we beat brighton three nil we beat norwich four nil um only really two that come out straight to my mind to be honest but um yeah i think it's it's definitely not sort of pragmatic at all i think um it's still sort of quite exciting still when you sort of leading one or two nil and there's sort of a, a good atmosphere around the stadium when it's happening because you know you're in just complete control and, and the fans are, are loving it. For sure. Um, I did a little bit of a dig in and, and, and maybe, I don't, I don't suppose this is fair to say or, or not, um, but I, I did find that you, you had a couple of good cup upsets as well, um, being uh, Manchester City away. I remember that game um, quite yep. well. Um, you think you picked those off two nil. Um, yep. And I think it was Manchester United. Um, yeah, as well. United as well. Yeah, not yeah they, they were they were great. Um, uh, there was even a third one as, as well, which it wasn't really a, an upset because we didn't 
come come out with the win, but we we also went to, to Anfield and lost a, a crazy game on penalties. I think it was like fourteen thirteen on penalties. Yes. Um, and it was it was great because you know even alongside those um, two finishes in the league to to have cup runs and um, get to go away to the the Premier League grounds and and pull off results like that was was incredible. It brought the fans and the players together. That that Man United game was. Um, was brilliant on, on penalties um, and when watching the game it was almost like you know we, we feel ready um, for the Premier League and obviously in one-off games it's a little bit different than playing week in week out but you know we felt as though we were quite matched um, with the teams up there and that we could give them a real good go um, whereas you know I can't really say the same now I think we'd get thumped by anyone in the top 10 in the Premier League um, so yeah it was a, a really good time with them. Is it fair to say that maybe you saw the better um, of Ito Karanka's tactics or his teams, uh, certainly away from home or maybe against teams that would come out a little bit more um, and not sit in deep because you were obviously you weren't matched up against a team where you were trying to break down, you know, two banks of four, for example, you know, against those bigger teams where you have caused the upsets and maybe teams that away from home, I've noticed a couple of times you had a couple of you know, big scoring games um, in the championship. Is it fair to say, like I said, that, um, those away games or those better teams you almost played better against because you were able to to pick them off yeah exactly um you know when, when we went away there was a few teams that you know they felt that they had the home advantage and they were trying to, to do to us what you know we do to teams at home um and, and that's where his sort of genius came into it almost where yes it was still very possession based but it was about moving it quicker and with intent um and i think that's where it sort of became synonymous for you know we always used to say me and a group of friends you know Karanka-esque performances and, and he did it to us again when he was at Forest that Forest came to the Riverside and beat us 2-0 and it was it was such a Karanka performance and it was you know we can't believe we'd just been fooled by it almost we'd seen it that many times um, and yeah there's loads of games where it played into our hands like that um, whether you know be it teams at the top of the table because they need the win for their own aspirations but teams at the bottom as well because they need to come out and, and go for it in their home games um, I remember particularly I think Ipswich um, an away game once uh, there wasn't like a whole lot in the game but I think I think we won 2-0 or 2-1 and I think we had two or three chances in the whole game um, but it was the way in which we scored those goals were just so well worked um, and decisive in sort of the, the passing to get up the field so quickly. Um, and yeah, like you say, they're, they're sort of two contrasting styles, home and away. Um, and uh, yeah. No, certainly. Um, I think that um, maybe one of his biggest, or maybe his, his only fault, I don't know, um, or his biggest one certainly, is potentially his his attitude or or some people brand him as maybe a bit not spoiled but he throws a tantrum or he doesn't necessarily like the going when the going gets tough um is that fair to say because obviously he's had issues at Nottingham Forest he obviously he was sacked at at Middlesbrough as you say um Mm -hmm. when things things weren't going fantastic but they weren't dire straits either um is that probably his biggest downfall uh probably yeah um I think from sort of you know, um, in the no knowledge of, of club and stories that you you hear of um, things that went on, you kind of think, you know, was it 
actually down to him or was it down to the players? And I think some of it was probably down to a bit of a culture clash. Um, I think when he came in, he was he, he still is. He's been the only foreign manager um, that we've ever had. Um, and our club is still very much a um, northeast based club. A lot of the people that work at the club are, are from the area, um, which, you know, in, in its own right is an argument whether that's right or wrong. We kind of... We kind of um, brandish this jobs for the boys thing that we that we always go on about with Middlesbrough fans with what Steve Gibson sort of does, you know, Woodgate's from the area and whatnot. Um, but I think the way he was, was he wasn't afraid to kind of call people out for things. And I think that um, obviously strained some relationships. Um, there was sort of that period where um, he did sort of fall out with the players, as I mentioned, with that Charlton game. Um, and I believe it was um, Stuart Downing from you know, the stories that we heard at the time and um, and possibly some of the other English players. Um, obviously, we did start to bring in a few Spanish players uh, as well when he, when he came on board, and it was never an issue with them. It never really came out that he was, you know, it was, it was fractures with them. Um, and then um, sort of the, there was another one as well where we, I think we were playing Blackburn away from home. Um, and fans have been, I don't know why, yeah, I think we were sort of getting itchy feet about us potentially not going up because we maybe lost or drew a game or something. Fans were calling out to put two up top. Um, and he, you know, we'd never, we never went two up top. It was always four, two, three, one. Um, and we just signed Jordan Rhodes in the, the January transfer window. So we played, um, with Rhodes and I believe it might have been Kiki up front at the time. Um, and anyway, I think we got beat two one. Um, we we played a four four two, and Karanka said after the game in an interview, he said, "Oh, um, well, at least the fans will be happy now that I, that I played a four four two. I kind of you know as if to say I, I told you it wouldn't work, um, which uh, didn't go down well with a lot, a lot of fans. Um, and that, that's where it kind of became a that's where we kind of came like Marmite um, on Middlesbrough, of, you know." Um, you either love him or you hate him, um, and you, you can't really forgive him for that fact. But you know, the, there was the other side of it, um, myself included, where it was like, you know, good on you, um, fans. Are, you know, for all the knowledge that we we might know as fans, we don't know what goes on in the training ground. We don't do the training with the players. We're not as knowledgeable. You know, we don't have coaching badges and whatnot. Um, and we should kind of leave him to to do his thing and, and kind of trust in it. Um, but you know, obviously, it was. I think it was a case of naivety where he, even though he did it and it was, it was, it was good at the time. Um, it, he probably shouldn't have done it. And I think more professional managers would have just left it um, and maybe not said it. But that being said, he'd learned from Mourinho and we know what Mourinho is like. He's a, a temperamental guy. He will call out things. He'll, you know, he'll be sort of brash in, um, in press conferences and things. So I think that's, again, um, something that he's learned and, and, and passed on from that. So, um, like you say, it's, um, I'm hoping obviously wherever he goes in his career and if he does go better that he kind of learns from those experiences and just kind of keeps himself himself when doing it and, um, not almost become a robot in, in press conferences. Um, you know, still have your personality about you, but, um, sort of just try and always keep the fans on side. Um, you're never always going to please everyone, but uh, you know, try not to divide the fan base with with comments and things because it did happen a few times. No, for sure. Just final question um, in regards to this: um, 
his relationship with with the chairman um, was that obviously when he was sacked, it could have been down to results. I'd heard a few things that there was also, like say, fractures within the dressing room. Um, what was his what was his relation um, relationship like on that side? Because we 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 know Birmingham City have potentially one of the most uh, controversial and difficult to work with um, CEOs, and it's a very surprising fact that he'll he'll come and talk to us knowing what he's walking into. Is it, is it fair to say that he tries to keep a good relationship with his with his CEO uh, with, with his directors, or or does he want to to potentially go and tell them some home truths if if need be? I think at first it was, and I think obviously you know when you first come in and with it being his first job, I felt like he he probably felt like. Steve Gibson had the authority, um, you know, he's kind of felt almost blessed that he's been given the job and been given the opportunity. Um, and, I, and I think they probably did have a, a really good relationship throughout the, the majority of it. Um, and when I've heard either of them kind of talk about it when they've been asked, they both say that, you know, they still get along and they still keep in touch. But I mean, everyone kind of says that in, in football these days, even if they don't. So it's, it's one of those, whether they actually do. Um, but I think, Towards the end, and I think this kind of led to his sack, and I think you know partly the results um, and partly Gibson kind of getting a bit, um, you know, edgy about about us going down, even though you know I think it was still firmly in our hands. Is I think he he kind of felt like he had a bit more authority, and he'd been there, you know, three and three and a half years by then. I felt like he he'd grown a bit of more of a backbone, and he could he kind of say things back. Um, Steve Gibson's got this sort of, I don't, I don't want to say reputation. It, it's kind of, again, people have very different opinions on, on Steve Gibson. He's been at the club for, you know, almost 30, 40 years now. Um, and I, I think it's one of those where he likes the way he runs it and he does things the way he wants. He, you know, he's been in charge of the club for so long. And I think if anyone sort of... Um, questions that and to the point where he he sort of feels disrespected then I think that's where it might have led to it Um, and and again this is all kind of hearsay and rumours and it's hard to kind of gauge um, what goes on behind the scenes but I feel like that that was sort of how it happened because I think if we had a proper plan in place if it was down to results we'd have hired someone else um, when he got sacked instead we just sort of rolled with the assistant manager for the end of the season and just basically succumbed ourselves to, to relegation, even though we, like I say, we weren't in the relegation places um, at that point. Um, I think it was just a case of, you know, I'm getting rid of you for you. Um, and, and the results may be compounded, of that fact. But yeah, again, um, it could be an issue, like you say, if, um, you know, you've got owners who are difficult to work with. Um, I think he, I think he'll do his best though to kind of, have a very good relationship at first. I think if um, a lot of things change over the over the time that he's there, then then obviously that's where the fractures start to happen. For sure, is he is he the kind of manager you said you hope he learns from his mistakes? Is he the type to do that, or is he very stubborn? Uh, I think in his time at Middlesbrough, he was. I probably I probably lived him as quite stubborn, but I think again, it's that Mourinho factor. I think he. He knows what he wants to do. Um, and that was kind of the other point that I was trying to think of actually with sort of um, the chairman is that, you know, with both men kind of being like that and being stubborn, then it's kind of like something has to give. Um, and obviously, <laughs> the, the, you know, the, 
the uh, CEO or the you know the the chairman isn't going to be sacked. It's always going to come back to the manager. And I think it, it kind of just didn't see eye to eye, um, and he he probably didn't submit to it. Um, so I think I don't think he'll learn and change possibly on that. Um, it, like you said, he was still kind of like that at Forest as well. Um, but it's one of those. I think if he wants to have a job because he's been out of work for so long and even between the Middlesbrough and Nottingham Forest job he was out of work for so long if he wants to sort of have another go at management he's got to sort of compromise a little bit I think um, and and work with the um, board of directors and and the the chairman as best he can um, if he feels that the sort of they have the same sort of project in mind yeah Um, final question no, I promise this is the final one now. Just no, to, no, it's, it's fine. I mean, I, I love talking about the guy, so <laughs> keep he, going. <laughs> he does seem like an intriguing guy, um, to be honest. The final one, and I know he's not a, a too popular figure down, uh, well, up at the Riverside, um, but uh, Gary Monk, obviously Birmingham fans had Gary Monk mm-hmm. um, for a large part last year. Um, and he, he, was, he was actually a very popular figure um, amongst Birmingham fans, saved us from relegation, took us to relatively good mid-table finish before the points deduction last season. Yeah. If you to compare the two stars, I know Monk only got roughly six months with Middlesbrough. If you to compare the two stars that you see, what what are the major differences? Because we we very much saw Monk as, a, again, a very hard-to-beat 4-4-2 sort of man structured. Is it is it massively different? or? Um... I think when it was at Middlesbrough, it really was. Yeah, I think Monk was... Um... Trying to bring a, a strong brand of sort of attacking football, um, and it was it was kind of like you know a, a Ferrari at the front and a, a Nissan Micra at the back almost. Um, I don't know if that was just you know the recruit, recruitment was all wrong and it kind of just finished the the transfer window um, that way. But I think we ended like five strikers going into the the season. We were kind of forcing them out wide as as inside forwards, um, which didn't really work and. Um, it was a real sort of shock to see at the time because we went from, you know, hardly ever conceding at home to we were leaking goals left, right and centre. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just everything he tried, it just didn't seem to work, um, which, again, kind of showed naivety because, you know, if he was, you know, set on his style of play and what he wanted to do, it would have sort of paid off eventually. Um, and you know, another transfer window might have seen it, but I think he was chopping and changing too much as well as trying to sort of play this this style of football. Um, we had so many different formations under Monk and, um, you know, we must have used every player in the squad. Um, you know, they were always being rotated, so it was kind of like he didn't know his best 11. Um, so it was a bit of a strange one, Monk, because we never really have managers where they're only in for six months. We're quite renowned for having managers for quite a long period of time. Steve Gibson normally gives time to managers. Um, so, yeah, it, it was definitely, um, there was definitely something fundamentally wrong um, if he was to be sacked after after six months. No, for sure. No, um, Elliot, that uh, just about wraps it up for me. Um, yeah. I really appreciate you having him, uh, having him. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, sorry, I'm a little bit tired this evening, so um, I'm not going to keep you um, too long for this one. Uh, but I really appreciate you coming on. Obviously, it remains to be seen. I'm hoping that he doesn't do another U-turn and um, and obviously walk out uh, in the advanced stages because I'd be pretty distraught with some of the other names <laughs> being linked with the job, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no, like I say, I, I, um, if you guys do uh, manage to get it, I think it'll be a real poop. And I think... Um, 
I think give it time um, as fans. Um, but his, you know, I think just the time we had it, it, it was golden. Um, and I really wish it was. I really wish it went on longer. Um, I wish almost that you know he stayed on, and even if we did get relegated, almost do what Sean Dyche has, has done with Burnley and and come back up with them again. But um, like I say, I'm I'm sort of very jealous if if it does come off and um, you know. If it does all go sour, um, hopefully it might come back to the bury. You never know. Um, yeah. But no, that's great. I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, hope uh, everything's sort of been um, insightful and, and sort of, um, yeah, good luck for the the season if if you guys do get him in and whatnot. No, massively, and uh, we'll we'll look to get you on obviously later on in the season. Um, obviously, when next season does roll around, and um, hopefully Karanka's in place then, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about how he's getting on at the start of his. Um, start of his tenure if, if, if he has started at that point but uh, really appreciate you coming on yeah that sounds great yeah thanks Elliot yeah alright yeah thanks then James so thank you so much to Elliot from Borough Breakdown for speaking to us about Ito Karanka so thank you to Elliot for speaking to us from Borough Breakdown about Ito Karanka that is the end of this week's episode if you have enjoyed please don't forget to like comment and subscribe leave your thoughts down below or message us on social media. Let us know what you think of everything that's going on with Blues at the moment. And we'll see you in the next one. Keep right on.